best thing about being an actor is other actors. Actors are wonderful people. They are giving and loving, and they have helped me get representation in areas that I've needed to. They've taught me lessons. They have podcasts like you're having where you and I are learning from each other. Actors are wonderful, and they are the best thing about this business. Listening to Inside Acting, a podcast dedicated to demystifying the inner and outer game of success in the entertainment industry. I'm AJ Meyer. And I'm Trevor Algott. And coming up today in episode 299, the second part of my two part conversation with Katie Von Till, an actress, producer, and the voice behind the iconic Disney character. Snow White. In part two today, Katie shares a bunch of great stuff. She shares the one highest leverage habit she feels actors can put into practice today, right now. She shares an overview of her personal business and income tracking spreadsheet, how she designed the early years of her life and career in LA to work for her, how she folds her worldview into her work and the jobs she, she chooses, and the story behind her evolving voice of her career, including the unconventional way she got her start, how she secured representation literally across the map, and what steps you can take to follow suit. It's all coming up today in episode 299, the one before episode 300. Stay with us. Support for this episode of Inside Acting is brought to you in part by Rehearsal Pro, the current version of Rehearsal, the essential app for actors. And it's now available in the iTunes App Store. If you want to learn your lines, be off book for your auditions, explore your character, make stronger choices, and do a whole lot more, go to rehearsal.pro slash IAP, as in Inside Acting Podcast, right now to learn about all the great new features in the new version of Rehearsal, the groundbreaking app designed by actors for actors. That's rehearsal.pro slash IAP. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 299, the one before episode 300. How you doing, AJ? Uh, what's up, dude? Nothing, man. How are you? Uh, I'm all right. I've been uh, fighting what I now believe is a sinus infection for the last couple of weeks. So apologies to our listeners. Trevor has uh, a little hat tip to Trev. He's done a great job of editing out all my hacks and sniffles and stuff like that, but I'm sure there's a few that are sneaking through, so sorry about that, guys. But other than that, I'm good. Um, I had another commercial audition today. uh, Sorry, commercial meeting. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) And uh, it just feels good to to have that, uh, my my commercial agent working so hard for me. He said when, when I signed with him, he said, you know, you're, as long as you're cool not going out very often, like, it's going to be great. It's going to be a great, you know, relationship. And he said that because I have, especially with my long hair and stuff, a very specific type right now. And I was like, you know what? That's perfect for me because I have a full-time job and blah, blah, blah. And I've actually been going out a lot. So there you have it. Okay. But uh, n- not a lot of L stuff. To, not a lot of L stuff. Woo! Not much else to report. How about you, man? Same old man, you know, just plugging away, getting ready for episode 300. Really stoked about this. It's coming up, guys, on December 11th at the parlor. That's a Monday, by the way. 7 p.m. December 11th at the parlor. We're pulling together all the resources, all the details, all the moving parts, all the nuts and bolts. It's it's really coming together. Uh, Jen Levin and Deborah Smith are just rocking it, man. They are handling all the heavy lifting and getting everything put together. Really grateful for their work. Uh, So it's really, really exciting. So... Yeah, episode 300, big party happening Monday, December 11th, 7 p.m., The Parlor in Hollywood on Melrose. Uh, Check our website for links to information about all that. We hope to see you guys there. It's going to be a really good time. It should be fun. We also want to welcome Celeste Martinez, who just recently joined us in the membership with a monthly contribution to keep the wheels turning on this bus. Thank you so much, Celeste, for joining us. It's wonderful to have you on board and in the inner circle, as it were. Very, very cool. And speaking of the inner circle, uh, I wanted to just kind of highlight this really interesting sort of dilemma that Catherine posted inside the membership this week. She talks about struggling in her relationship being the primary breadwinner uh, for both her and her partner. So 
It's an interesting sort of situation she finds herself in, especially as an artist. Artists aren't typically known uh, widely for, you know, making a ton of money. Many of them are, uh, but many of them aren't. And, um, you know, sometimes in the early years, as you're just getting started and developing as an artist, it can be tough to even support yourself, let alone your partner as well, uh, on an income uh, as an artist. So Catherine outlined some of the... um, some of the victories and the struggles she's having. And I'd love to see uh, what other people think about it. So hop on over to the membership. The link to that specific thread is in the show notes on our website. So you can click on that that link. It'll take you right to the, the thread in the membership if you'd like to read what Catherine has to share and, and uh, post your two cents. Also, this is kind of cool. Since we just wrapped up a great interview series with Michael Kostroff, whom we love dearly, uh, you guys might be excited to hear that his new book, Audition Psych 101, he talked about this at the end of the interview. He teased it, and uh, it is now available. You can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, a couple different indie bookstores. Check it out. Uh, we have a link to that book on Amazon on our website. And you can also check out his website, auditionpsych101.com, for more details. And you can buy it directly from him, uh, which we definitely encourage Check it out. Audition Psych 101, the book, now available. And, you know, Christmas is coming up, so might make a great holiday gift. Oh, I love that. I love that. The, the, the cover is hilarious, too. It's like one of those, like, 1950s horror films, you know, uh, like the, the movie poster for one of those. It's really yeah. cool. It's so good. It's so good. Whoever his graphic designer is is, is a rock star because it's a great-looking great cover. Support for this episode of Inside Acting is also brought to you in part by VO2GoGo.com, the award-winning voiceover training system and winner of Backstage's Reader's Choice Award for Best VO Training four years in a row. Visit VO2GoGo.com slash start for a free getting started in voiceover online class that'll help you add voiceover to your acting portfolio. That's VO, as in voiceover, the number two, GoGo.com slash start. All right, all right, all right. It is that time. Guys, part two of this chat with Katie is just, it's its priceless, it's timeless, it's, uh, like I said last week, this whole interview series is one for the books. It is a bit on the longer side as far as the interviews we typically do go. Usually we try to keep these interview segments per episode down to like 30 minutes. This one's about 50 minutes, so we're going to get right to it. Anything to, uh, to, to share before we jump in, AJ? Oh man, let's rock and roll. I'll see you all at the party, folks. <laughs> that was so evil. I'm like, see you at the party. I'm like, angry. Go to the party! <laughs> the way you said folks was like threatening. See you at the party, folks. All right, let me re record it. Okay. Nah, man, let's jump into it. I'm so excited for the party. See you all there. Bye! somebody who maybe um is listening to this and they're you know new to la and they're you know they're like okay i got it i'll keep my old car and i will you know be super frugal what piece of advice might you offer to them to start them down this path of really treating their finances and their and their um you know following up on their their acting jobs and things treating them like a business is there one action step they could take today that might set them up uh, to win a spreadsheet Honestly, learn how to spreadsheet, learn, learn how to use Excel or a similar or just even um, whatever Google's documents version of Excel is or Apple's numbers or whatever. And um, learn how to learn how to spreadsheet because because you need to be able to cross reference your finances with, you know, did pension did this get reported to pension and health? Let me go on to pension and health's website and cross reference with them. And if you are literally having to go into a giant stack of papers to figure out the state of your finances, it's a problem. And that, you know, it should be the same for your day job too. You should have everything you earn should be in a spreadsheet. Because, I mean, you're just as likely to be paid incorrectly from a day job as you are from an acting job. That's happened to me many times, actually. Yeah. See? Yes. So, you know, people just, 
you need to you need to learn how to spreadsheet. I, I like to use spreadsheet as a verb. I just I spreadsheet everything. <laughs> I love that. Now I use I use a, a tool called YNAB. It's a piece of software um, that that uh, you know it's got like budgeting features and stuff like that. Would you recommend something like that for actors, or, or would you are you really um, biased towards spreadsheets? Um, I like spreadsheets just because uh, it's what I've done. So the idea that I'd have to enter everything into an app at this point would be uh, a bit daunting for me. But I think absolutely, if you're starting from scratch, um, find that thing that's going to work best for you. Look into some apps, look into some different software programs. I know there are a couple of actor uh, focused ones. Uh, I don't remember what it's called now, but it used to be called Holden Log. Yeah, Performer Track. Yeah. Yeah, Performer Track. Right. You know, what, look into look into whatever sort of thing that clicks with you. Because if it isn't something that you can stick with, it's not going to matter, right? It has to be something that makes sense to you and you feel like you can keep working on. Otherwise, forget it. So, if you're starting from scratch, my personal recommendation is a spreadsheet. But I'm absolutely in favor in whatever whatever you think you can consistently do. As far as spreadsheets go, is there a template that somebody might be able to look up or, or do you recommend they just sort of start with columns and name those columns with categories that are relevant to them? How, how, you, how would they get started with that? Uh, well, my spreadsheet has evolved through the years. It, you know, first started out as like the name of the job and the amount of money I made. And now I've got like, you know, the pay ending period, the job, the production company, the payroll company, uh, which unions health insurance or uh, pension does it go to? Does it go toward after or does it go to SAG uh, for pension? Uh, who was the agent or manager that got me the job? What was the gross for the check? What was the net for the check? What date did I receive it in the mail if it wasn't a session so that I can report it to EDD? So I have a separate column for the EDD date. EDD is unemployment. So um, it's either for, for if it's a day that you worked, it's that actual day. But if it's a residual check, it's the day you received it in the mail. Um, if there were any fees that are... Uh, like late fees or things like that, which are not, uh, they don't go toward pension and health. So I put those into separate columns. So I pull them out of the check and put them in a separate column. So that's basically everything I had. And then like a notes section. So what was the check for? Was it for a cable payment? Was it for an international royalty? Um, you know, just something that describes it. Was it class, was it commercial class A uses one through seven? Was it a max cable check? So I have all of those categories that I fill in. And, uh, it, it's super, super helpful. Wow. That is, that is awesome. So really it's, it's just start with the basics and then let it expand from there based on what you feel is important to yourself. Yeah. As an actor. Yeah. Like I added the net check because I ended up having an ATM eat a couple of checks once and it was a nightmare. It took three months to sort out and I couldn't figure out which checks had been eaten because some of the checks hadn't been eaten and some had, and I realized if I'd had the nets written in my spreadsheet, it would have been a lot easier for me than going through it. So it was just a nightmare. So I added the check net, even though, you know, didn't, oh, and then I have a column for a commission. Uh, you know, it's a, it's just evolved over time. And different people might find certain columns useful or not or whatever. So I, I just get, just start, just start. <laughs> wow. Okay. That is so cool. I love that. Rewinding to your pre-spreadsheet days, <laughs> you got to LA uh, and you had a nice you know, chunk of change saved up to sort of help you get through those, those first few months. What was the journey like from setting up shop in your apartment to starting to book regular acting work? Well, I had a, I also came with a day job, which I really lucked out. I had been, um, my last year in New York, I was working part-time for a legal headhunter and when I told them I was moving, they said, oh, we have a friend who does that out there. We'll set you up with an interview. And he hired me basically sight unseen. So I came here with a day job lined up, which was great. It was part-time, hourly. I could set my own hours. I mean, it was absolutely ideal. Um, and I kept working in theater because that's what I knew. You know, when I, when, I, when somebody is going to do a theatrical production, you know that there are auditions. There are no... There are very few gatekeepers in that world. So I was able to really continue doing that. And what allowed me to finally quit my, or I wouldn't say quit, but I'm going to knock wood. The last time I had to go back to a day job um, was in 2005, and I booked a Broadway national tour. And that was, that, was, that was the moment where I thought, okay, I could do it. I'd done some regional theater, um, the occasional like TV co-star, um, 
but I, I wasn't able to, to quit until then. And, um, but honestly, it, it, I was very lucky. It happened really quickly for me, honestly, in both towns. I became equity after being out of college for just a year. And then when I moved to L.A., once you're in one union, you can just buy into the sister union. So within a year of living here, I'd already booked a TV co-star. I, I just got I got really, really lucky. Not super lucky like some super-duper famous people, but lucky in that I, I started to get some work uh, right away. And how did you go about um, booking those jobs? Were they self-sourced via, you know, click-to-submit sites, or did you have representation off the bat, or how did that work? In New York, I was just, you know, it was backstage, you know, backstage is listed the auditions. And when I moved to L.A., same thing, auditions were listed in backstage for theater. And I told you I booked that 99-seat show uh, while I was in the process of moving here, and I invited an agent to see that show, and I got a theater agent from that. Wow. So I had a theater agent as soon as I moved to L.A., so I got really lucky. And then the, the first TV gig I booked through a friend of mine who had a fake management company. <laughs> no joke. I've heard of a few people that have done that, actually. Yeah, yeah they, yeah, they had a fake management company. I don't even remember his name. It's been so long. He was a friend of, um, of the girl who was subletting from my roommate, my Tokyo Disneyland roommate, um, and he had a fake management company, and uh, he took us on, and he, he got me a, a gig. He got me a gig, so it's pretty great. And then after that, um, once I booked the Broadway National Tour, um, I was able to get a little bit of a better agent, so I didn't need the fake management company, and I got another small TV job. And then the other thing that really helped me out was um, casting director workshops, which I know are controversial these days, and there are lawsuits and whatnot about them, and people are facing charges and whatnot. But for me, I loved casting director workshops. I found them extremely educational. I learned a ton. I did make some connections that um, didn't necessarily result in being called into rooms, but sometimes did, which helped. And uh, it also made me a great auditioner. So my uh, my team, my agent and manager felt really great about sending me into rooms because I was I as a one casting director said, I gave good meeting. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, put that on a t-shirt. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Hey guys, quick break to let you know that support for this episode of Inside Acting is brought to you in part by Bluehost, the best web hosting solution for your WordPress site, powering over 2 million websites worldwide, including InsideActing.net. If you're looking to buy a domain or a hosting package or start a WordPress site or do all of the above, visit InsideActing.net slash Blue to take a look at what Bluehost has to offer. You can choose your hosting package, get Bluehost's new WordPress-focused onboarding, a 100% money-back guarantee, award-winning U.S.-based phone support, and over $200 in offers from companies like Google and Facebook. It's a no-brainer. Bluehost has been powering Inside Acting for a couple years now. Now, and we have had just a wonderful experience with them from top to bottom. Their customer support is top-notch. I've spoken with them many times, and it's always been a great experience. So set up your website with Bluehost right now, today, by visiting insideacting.net slash blue. Again, that's insideacting.net slash blue. Okay, back to the interview with Katie. So the on-camera stuff and the stage stuff, most of our listeners are familiar with sort of how that works. What we haven't talked a lot about on this show is breaking into the voiceover world. And I'd say you've pretty much arrived when it comes to voiceover. If you're the, if you are the voice of an iconic Disney character, <laughs> I know it's not like, you know, t you know, tons and tons of money and work, but that's a pretty, that's a pretty stellar thing to have on their resume. Plus you do a lot of uh, voice work for video games and other animated projects. So how did, how did you fall into that? I was also the voice of a network for a while. I do promo, I do commercial again, diversify, right? A lot of, a lot of voiceover actors do one thing. They either do commercial or they do promo or they do animation. And I'm lucky in that I get to do all of those things. And I hand that off to my agent. Um, it all started when I was on that national tour. A girl who was on the tour with me said, you should do voiceover. And I said, well, it's a lot of money to make a demo. And I'd taken a couple classes and, um, I wasn't sure it was worth investing, you know, a couple thousand bucks and making some demos. And she said, oh, you don't need a demo. I said, what? She said, yeah, I got a friend of mine signed 
by having her just record some voices into a handheld tape recorder. And I walked it into uh, my agents and they signed her. I was like, what? And she said, yeah, record something and I'll walk it in. I said, okay. So I went to a friend who um, is a recording engineer, went to him and he laid some stuff down. And this was back in the day where we still made CDs. So put laid some stuff out on CD and she walked it into her agent. They passed. I told a friend of mine the story and she said, oh, I'm with a great agency. I'm with SBV. They're fantastic. Let me hear it. If it's any good, I'll walk it into them. She listened. She loved it. She walked it in and they brought me in for a meeting and I signed with them and I've been with them ever since. They're my one and only voiceover agency and I absolutely love them. My one and only voiceover agency in, voiceover agency in LA. Um, the one thing about voiceover that's really common is people having agents in different cities. So I actually have an agent in Chicago, an agent in Minneapolis, an agent in New York mm. um, that handle things out there. So that's, um, I know some people do that theatrically. Like if you, you know, wherever your parents live, you could have an agent there or whatnot. But for voiceover, it's super common for people to have agents all over. But I, I, I broke into it because a friend said, hey, just don't invest thousands of dollars. Just put down some voices and I'll walk it in. I mean, that's what happened to me. I really lucked out. But this was 11 years ago when the voiceover industry was very different than it is now. Now you're not just competing against the other people in your town you're competing, like I said, people have agencies all over the country and there are these pay-to-play sites where clients come directly to talent and bypass everybody else. A lot of the work has gone non-union, which is a race to the bottom. People are underpaid, uh, which is unfortunate. Um, but it's a just a totally different ball game now. VoiceOver now is either about making money off of volume, doing teeny tiny little jobs that barely pay, or celebrities who, um, you know, are voicing campaigns or doing animation or even series. Like little kids, they don't know who's on their series, but you better believe whatever show on whatever kids channel you're watching is filled with celebrities voicing those characters. There's just, it's just really, really changed. When I first broke into the business, it wasn't quite so celebrity driven. Um, and the everybody having a booth in their house hadn't happened yet. So yeah. it, was, it was a very different time. The best thing I can say is, you know, get some training, um, learn how to be a bit of an engineer so you can do this stuff at your home, invest in some equipment, and then just think about, think about the big picture. Do you want to be somebody who makes a living at this, who earns um, money toward retirement and health and pension benefits? Is that what you want to do? Or are you somebody who doesn't care if the job turns into a hobby and you can't really make a living at it, in which case you just go after low-hanging fruit and who cares about everybody else and who cares about my own future and let's just worry about right now. I mean, that's uh, sort of a really pessimistic view of the way the business is right now, but that's just the way it is. I still say when people do ask me, I say, yeah, um, you know, look, look into taking a class, start with good training. But other than that, I don't know what to tell people. Should you invest thousands of dollars in a demo only to mail it out to everybody in town. But everybody in town has a full roster. The great thing about voiceover is we don't age out. One of the ways that I also create an income is through voiceover. And one aspect of that is I, I, um, I sort of represent and or lead monthly workouts for a, a training curriculum that's online called VO2GoGo.com. And it's, it's a really thorough curriculum and course and it does kind of talk about all the different ways that technology is changing. But one thing that you mentioned that is also mentioned in this course that I think is so key is, and this is still timeless, is that the way that you got representation was you had a trusted friend walk your work into their agent. And that, that really, even in the course, one of the things that David, the creator, lays out, he says, there's a whole module on getting a representation, getting an agent. And he says, this is the, he lays out, you know, seven or eight different ways you can go about it. But he says, this is the absolute best way. And so it's kind of cool to hear that that worked for you all the way back then. And I think that's still the best way to get it to, to happen. Yeah. Everybody I know who either has, has to move representation or loses representation for whatever reason, uh, you know, it's always through a recommendation. It's always through a referral. It's never a blind submission. Never. So, so my follow-up question then is that worked for you in Los Angeles. How did you get your regional representation? Email. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Straight up email. So did you just like, you you found a couple places online and you were like, I'm going to email them. 
So before Voices.com bought Voice Bank, you could go on and see the um, addresses for every agency in the country and Canada, and you could just email them. Um, I just gathered all the emails from 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 VoiceBank.net and sent out a bunch of emails to some cities where I thought I might like representation. And it doesn't hurt when, um, I mean, I already had a pedigree, so to speak. You know, I was already the voice of Snow White. I'd already worked quite a bit. So, you know, I was already the voice of a network and so forth. So I was a, a, a known commodity for these people. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't um, somebody who didn't have any jobs behind them. I already had a, a bit of a voiceover resume, a very strong voiceover resume when I approached these people. And, but I never tried earlier in my voiceover career. I only did this a couple of years ago. Some people I know um, have had, you know, regional representation their entire careers for 10, 20 years. But um, that wasn't something, uh, not 20, I guess 10. <laughs> um, but that wasn't, some, well, no, some did in their home state. Like if friend of mine had always had one in San Francisco, even though she lived down here, because she would find herself traveling back and forth a bit. So she would have somebody up there when she was there uh, to do auditions there. But I, it wasn't something I even thought about until a couple of years ago. So the whole regional rep thing is very new for me. But it was, again, it was, it was blind email. That's the time it worked. But I, it was blind email, not listen to my demo. It was a blind email saying, these are, these are my credits. These are the things I've done. Would you like to work together? And was the response pretty enthusiastic? Uh, I mean, yeah, I got a handful of places respond, and some of them, you know, wanted to submit me for non-union gigs and wanted me to be FICO or work off the card. And I said, then that wasn't a fit for me. I said, I'm sorry, I don't, that's not a business model that works for anybody. Um, so I didn't go with those agencies. But um, yeah, I have somebody in Minneapolis, Chicago, and New York, and they're fantastic. That's great. So how often do you get uh, auditions from those regional markets? Mm, I had one from New York this week, maybe a few, t a handful of times a month. Not a, not a ton, not as much as my LA agent. You know, my LA agent, I have you know, usually several per week. Um, of course, it varies. There are those occasional weeks where there's nothing and those occasional weeks where there's a ton. Um, but yeah, you know, probably a handful per month from the regional regional people. That's awesome. So, man, diversity at every level, diversifying the income, diversifying the jobs, diversifying your approach. That's great. And I think it's really cool to hear that this very successful voiceover career started without even having a demo. <laughs> just, yeah, no demo. Just putting yourself out there on tape and saying, here's, here's something. Yeah. And I would encourage, actually, I would encourage that for a lot of people um, because, again, a demo isn't going to get you signed. You're going to get signed through a connection or a referral or something like that. So they just need something rough to listen to. So just record something at home and then make a demo later. You know, you do need a demo because often agents use it to pitch. So you definitely need to have a professional demo made at some point. Although, truth be told, I have produced all of my own demos with that friend of mine who's a recording engineer. Um, but uh, while you're just looking for representation, um, I, you know, if you got a network of people that you can use and just do something rough just do something rough because also then you might book some work and you might be able to use um, the things you book in your demo yeah what do you think they're they're listening for when you do something rough and, and you send that into the agent what what are you trying to communicate would you say uh, with that rough work well with the voiceovers with the animation stuff it's a variety of voices you know i do everything from uh, little kids to old women I played boys and um, teenage boys, teenage girls. So it's, it's really, for the animation stuff, it's variety. And it's being a good actor. So many voice people forget that if you're not a good actor, you're not going to get hired. And I'm an excellent improviser, which I think is really important for people. I, I highly recommend um, training at one of the improv houses around town or wherever you are. It's, it's the most invaluable skill you can have as an actor because I, I use it daily. I use it daily. I use it in every audition, be it on camera or voiceover. Um, it's so, so important. So they're looking for talent. They're looking for variety and talent, something they can market. They're looking for maybe a hold that they have in their own roster. 
Um, everybody's going to be looking for something different. It's subjective. Um, I fell into this voice matching stuff, and now I do, you know, I voice match Snow White. I've voice matched other people as well. I'm, I'm a really good mimic. If, if, that, if that's something you can do, then then show people you can do that, you know. It, but above above everything else, you got to be a good actor. I don't care how great your voice is. Don't care. I care that you're a good actor. If I had a nickel for every time somebody said, man, I, people tell me I've got a great voice. I should do voiceover. It's just kind of like there's a little bit of a facepalm thing that I do because it's just kind of like, it's kind of like saying people tell me I'm really good looking, so I should be an actor. Like, it's, <laughs> right. It has nothing to do. I mean, okay. Hey guys, another quick break to ask a favor. If you're enjoying what you're hearing in this episode, can you hop over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a brief review? It's a really great cost-free way that you can support the podcast and what we do, and it makes a huge difference in helping other people discover the show as well. If you've already left us a review, thank you. You guys truly, truly rock. And if you're ready to leave us a review, all you have to do is hop over to Apple Podcasts, search for Inside Acting, click on that five-star button, and leave us a, a few nice words if you'd like. Okay, back to the rest of the interview with Katie. I think it's cool too that you said that uh, sort of a, a large portion of you of your work is voice mimicking. Not a large portion, but a, but a portion of it, yeah. A portion of it, and you were saying in, in the in the article that I was reading earlier on your website, um, you were kind of quoted as saying like, "Oh yeah, I listen to the sort of the original Snow White recordings like once a week, maybe just oh, yeah. to just to stay sharp." I mean, you're only going into the studio once every three or four months, but you're staying on top of your game every single week. Can you talk a little bit about what kind of practices you you have in place for that? Uh, well, for for Snow White, I I just um, in my old school car, I have a ten disc CD changer, and I, I have. Um, I have an old Mazda as well. So oh, do you really? yeah, Yay, yeah, it's not as old as yours, but, but it's, it's it's getting up there. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I keep the CD in my car, which has the um, the original uh, tracks they sent me when they were they sent out the audition material. Uh, with an mp3 of uh, her speaking and then I of course have the cd and I ripped all the songs so I I listen to uh, clips of her speaking clips of her singing and I sing along and speak along I also have my own uh, original audition that I sent in on that same cd just to remind myself of my own phonics and how I produce that sound and um, yeah I listen to it weekly I listen to it today I listen to it today yeah, that is really cool. Mm-hmm. And then when I'm looking to voice match somebody else, um, you know, whether it's uh, I, I do a lot of like uh, watching videos because I find that it's important for me to see like the shape of their mouth. How big are their teeth? Is their smile really wide? Um, what are they physically doing with their bodies when they're making this sound? Because if you can match their instrument, which is their body, which is their face, which is their mouth you can match their sound to a degree. Mm, yeah. So I, I, I think I don't just listen. I also watch because there's a lot of things I can, I can pick up if I think, oh, they have a really pursed mouth or, oh, they, they, um, they have really crunched their forehead, which is bringing their resonance toward their nasal cavity. You know, things like that, physical things that I can latch on to to help me um, produce the sound. Yeah, people forget. I think that voiceover is a very physical, uh, very physical sort of practice as well. Oh yeah, uh, especially mm-hmm. animation. I mean, you got to be in your body constantly, and and even with just commercials and things like that, people can tell when you're smiling and when you're not. So it's so much more than just reading words well on a page. Mm-hmm. A lot of actor friends of mine through the years have tried to give voiceover a shot, and they just they can't quite do it. And they're still great actors, but they they just there's a bit of a disconnect for them between reading something and performing something they're reading. Yeah. You're telling a story. Like you said it before, you're telling a story. You're a storyteller. You're a good actor. You're, you're communicating, uh, the arc of a, of a character, right? The hero's journey. Right. And the other reason that improv stuff is so important is because as you know, doing voiceover often, the first time we're seeing a script is while the job is happening. So you need to be able to make a choice and commit and just go for it. And I find that improv really helps with, with, um, making a choice, throwing caution to the wind, not being afraid to look like an idiot and just commit, commit, commit. 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Commitment is, is a huge thing it's, it, because the mic picks up so much. You, you don't have the luxury of falling back on on body language or or something like something visual to cover up your you know hesitation. Yeah. Yeah. The mics do not lie. Uh, we're, I know we're a little tight on time. I want to ask you about one more thing before we get to our final two questions. So way back at the beginning, you talked about also producing things and you've got, you know, a lot of things sort of happening there. And that's been awesome for you in the article. I keep referencing this article. We'll have to link to it. <laughs> we'll have to link to it in the show notes uh, for this episode on the website. But you also talked about, I mean, tell me if this is inaccurate, but you, you did describe yourself as a feminist in the article. Oh, sure. Absolutely. I mean, aren't we all feminists? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, sometimes that, <laughs> that can be, I know, seriously, that, I mean, I, I'm with you on that, but I, I want to sort of treat the word with, um, a little bit of, uh, caution because sometimes it can be a trigger for people. There are sure. people out there who, who have an image of feminism as being something less than empowering. Um, boggles my mind but sure go i know i know i i would would that we all lived in southern california come on people (laughs) so can you tell us how how like about that sort of worldview as it were and uh how that's informed your your artistic journey and choices well the reason it was talked about in the articles you know there's this like backlash in parenting these days that somehow princesses are negative for our young girls and i think to myself well, uh, did I grow up wanting to be a princess? Sure. And I am one now. So I'm not sure so. how, that, how that was a negative. No, I'm kidding. Um, no, but like, you know, people love to say, oh, Snow White, you know, she was she was um, a really negative role model for women. And I don't think so. She, she ran out into the woods. By herself, when the hunter said, go, go, she ran. She had nowhere to go. She talked to some animals, and they helped her find a, a cottage in the woods where she thought, oh, gosh, I better earn my keep. You know, maybe if I clean this place up, these people will let me stay. You know, she wasn't trying to, you know, diminish her value as a, as a woman by cleaning the house or, you know, some sort of cliche. She was trying to earn her keep. What's wrong with that? And what's wrong with trying to be tidy? And yeah, she did, you know, take a, an apple from a woman she didn't know. But, um, you know, what's wrong with seeing the best in people? And I, I try to see the best in people as much as I can. I know we live in a scary time, but I like to think that people are generally good and, and um, kind and loving. So I, I feel like the Snow White is a great, great role model for young girls. And I feel absolutely connected to her as a person. You know, everything she does is with a smile and a song. Gosh, I would be so lucky if I could manage to do that every single day, which I can't, but I try, you know, this life is really tough. It's tough for everybody, you know, and yeah, I've been sexually harassed in this business and yeah, I was kissed on the mouth by a casting director and it happened. It happened to me and it happens to everybody in every industry. Um, women, you know, the, the women's movement is not all that old. We're, we're in our infancy as far as that, that's still happening. You know, it, honestly, it's a, a modern, a modern movement that's still in process. Hmm. Does this, um, play into the roles that you are willing to take or the projects that you work on? Absolutely. I'll tell you what, I was offered an audition during the last election process for a web series that was made fun of both everybody running basically. And I decided, and even though it was comedic and everything, I said, my, you know, somebody said, oh, well, it's just, it's just comedy. It's just all in good fun. And I said, you know what? I just, I don't want to bad mouth somebody, even in jest, when I want them to be running our country. I'm not going to do it. And I turned the audition down. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think about, particularly as the voice of Snow White, I think about, you know, I don't want to take any roles that, that might somehow uh, reflect badly on, on her in some way. You know, I wouldn't do anything overtly 
sexual or not that I have anything against that type of stuff, but I would just, I mean, sex has its place in television film. Absolutely. And there are certain things I would do, but I would just be uh, mindful that, that everything be done uh, with taste and with tact and with, with the art in mind and the storytelling in mind and don't do something gratuitous just for the sake of doing it. It's really wonderful to hear because we have a lot more power and responsibility, I, I think, than we often realize as creative people, performers, artists, storytellers. We're putting we're putting a narrative out into the greater sort of culture. And people who consume that narrative, whether they understand that it's a farce or not, it still settles in somewhere in their psyche and in their being that this is the way the world works. And so the the more uh, intentionally we can choose those stories, I think the more... Um, the more leverage we have in creating a, a culture uh, that we can be proud to be a part of in, in all aspects. So it's, it's wonderful to hear that, you know, like, oh, you know, here's a great high paying job. You know, you're just going to be running topless from a guy with a chainsaw. You're cool with that, right? It's like, well, um, I don't really care how much it pays. That's not the story I want to tell. I don't want that story out in our culture anymore because um, that's a story on many different levels. It's, it's even similar for me with the voiceover stuff. Like if I if a video game sends artwork and it's like, like the girl just looks like not realistic in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> Got then it. I, yeah. It's a no for me. It's a pass. You know, sometimes they don't send it, so I don't. There's no other way for me to know. But um, you know, or if it's degrading toward women, like it's a pass for me. I'm just gonna pass. Yeah. I just don't. I just don't need it in my life. You know, this, this, this whole thing is just such a, it's been a real journey for me because I, you know, men, especially men like me who are white and American and, you know, educated and come from a liberal background, like we, we don't have to deal with that stuff. Like, it's just not, it, it's so it's up until recently, it's, it's not really been a blip on my awareness radar. And it's just, I, I say that with a little bit of shame, but also it's like, I'm trying not to blame myself too much because it wasn't like I, I was choosing to ignore something. It just, it didn't enter my, my experience. It wasn't a part of my, my reality. So, uh, the more that we have this conversation in this industry and the more I talk to people like you who are just very mindful, uh, and intentional about the work that they do and how they do it. And the, and the, uh, like I said earlier, the narrative that that puts out into the, the sort of greater culture, the more I, I'm like, yeah, like let's let's be actively shaping something that we can all be really excited about, whether no matter who you are, you know, no matter wh whether or not it, you know, quote unquote, affects you or not. Right. But absolutely push boundaries, absolutely um, challenge yourself and your mindset and the mindset of of our our world. You know what I mean? Like those those two things are not mutually exclusive if that makes sense. Yeah. That's a, yeah. Thank you for clarifying that. That's that it, yeah, it can be tempting to sway all the way into sort of the sort of opposite side of, of radicalism there. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. But I agree with you. Absolutely. Well, this has been really awesome, Katie. I, we have just two final questions we'd like to ask all of our guests. And uh, the first one is they always get really cool answers. And I think you may have answered some of these already, but I'm going to go ahead and ask them anyway. The first one is, did this career choose you? Or did you choose it? I chose it, but I chose it so early that I, <laughs> that I, I, uh, it almost feels like it, it chose me, but, um, no, I chose it, but honestly, there is nothing else I could do. I, I honestly believe that I was born to do this, hmm. um, but that doesn't mean I didn't choose it because I could have I could have been born to do this and still gone. But I don't want to. I'm going to do something else. Um, I absolutely believe it was a choice to go down this path. It continues to be a choice every day where I choose to get up, choose to hustle, choose to go to the audition, choose to drive across town, choose to live frugally, choose to put career before of a lot of other aspects of my life. It's at, that's absolutely a choice that I've made and sometimes to the detriment of other parts of my life. Uh, but sometimes not. 
But on, honestly, at this point, I'm too old to do anything else. So I have to do this because <laughs> I don't, I haven't worked, I haven't worked a day job in so long. I have no work resume. So unless I, I gotta, mm. I gotta figure out a way to keep doing this because this is almost my, and I barely worked any day jobs. I, I mostly worked as an actor. So except for the, you know, temp jobs here and there and that one part-time day job. So, uh, you know, waiting tables as a singing waitress, even then I was still performing. So I can't do anything else. Right, so I've yeah. got to make this work. Yeah, got well. Hey, sidebar question: Does that ever keep you up at night? Every night, <laughs> I don't sleep anymore. I'm a mess. <gasps> Anxiety is through the roof. Wow, wow. I have that. The older I get, I, the more I think about that too. I'm like, I'm not really qualified to do anything else, and I'm getting too old to go back and get tri- yes. like, oh, jeez, yeah. Mm-hmm. What a trip, yeah, man. I feel you. The dark side. Listen up, kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> this is what you have to look forward to, no matter how Anxiety. successful you are. Get some therapy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Well, this is a nice segue into the final question, which is if you could uh, impart one little nugget, golden nugget of wisdom to somebody who is also seeking to walk this path or is already walking this path, that path of a creative person uh, in, the, in an industry like this, what would that one nugget of, of wisdom or advice be? Don't wait. Don't wait. I was in a wonderful acting class with a friend of mine, cast director named G. Charles Wright. Yeah, and, I know G. Charles. You know, G, yeah, so G, yeah, G's a good friend of mine, and he teaches a wonderful audition class. And every month at the beginning of class, he gives you a packet. And on that packet, in that packet is your sides for the month and whatnot, but also on that front page of that packet is uh, the headshots of everybody in that class. And he figured out a way one month that if he sort of didn't pick a headshot, he prints them out from um, Actors Access, you know, breakdowns. He figured out one month that if he just didn't select a photo, he was able to get the default photo from Actors Access that you, you can't even access anymore. And it's the very first photo you ever uploaded to um, Actors oh, Access. Geez. And you can't access it. I had deleted it long ago. It just sort of randomly default pops up and he he so we were all looking at our very first young headshot photos and he said look at that photo and think about how far you've come and I looked at that photo and I saw this girl who had so much potential and all I could think about was all of the things I would do differently all of the mistakes I made along the way all of the things I postponed uh, you know, continuing to do theater for so long because it was what I knew, because there weren't gatekeepers to keep me from auditioning, because I could just, you know, crash an audition easily when I lived in New York before I was even equity, or how when I was equity, I could just sign up for EPAs and chorus calls, how, you know, theaters let you know their upcoming season so you could audition for them. Even though I knew I wanted to do TV and film, I didn't know how to make that happen. And so I just stuck with what I knew. Um, and I lost a lot of years and again, going to school in Michigan, which while I loved it, didn't help me. It didn't help my career. I should have gone, come here to Los Angeles or New or New York or whatever. So I could have started working in the business right away. I would have started working younger. I would, that's my biggest piece of advice. Don't wait. And then one other tiny little nugget is the best thing about being an actor is other actors. Actors are wonderful people. They are giving and loving, and they have helped me get representation in areas that I've needed to. They've taught me lessons. They have podcasts like you're having where you and I are learning from each other. Actors are wonderful, and they are the best thing about this business. So get in a class. Find a community of actors that you can be friends with, that you can collaborate with, and don't wait. Make your own stuff. Get started now. Don't wait for the phone to ring. Don't wait for your paychecks to come in the mail. Don't wait about anything. Make those spreadsheets and get going now. Mic drop. (laughs) (laughs) Mic drop. I get a little intense. As my as my fiance said to me something recently, he goes, just don't Katie Von Till it, okay? Just try not to Katie Von Till it. I can get a little bossy at times. The other thing is if you're a union member or strive to be a union member. Please join the union. Think about your the long term. Think about the big picture. You know, uh, demolishing our unions is a really right wing 
point of view. And if that's your game, fine. But if you're a lefty, if you're at all a liberal or a moderate, you want to support labor, you want to support unions across all industries, support our unions, support all actors' unions, um, AFTRA, AGVA, Equity, um, ACTRA up in Canada, support our crews that are unions, IATSE and Teamsters, and get involved in your union. If you're in the WGA or the DGA or SAG-AFTRA, you know, run for committee or join a committee, run for office, get involved, take take all of those workshops and talks and seminars that they they offer and dip your toe in the water and get involved because that's going to empower you as an actor, it's going to empower your union as a whole, which empowers our industry as a whole, which in Los Angeles is our economy. So get involved. Don't wait. Show up. Bam. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've been talking a lot about the union uh, recently on the podcast, and I, I am learning so much about how wonderful and fragile uh, this this union is that we have. So mm-hmm. uh, it, we do need every voice. Um, so every if that, voice. If that at all interests you and you're listening to this and you're inspired by this conversation, uh, do what she says, people. <laughs> Get involved in the union. It is uh, it is such a blessing to have a union like this, and uh, it, need, it needs every, every last uh piece of help that it can get sure does katie thank you so very much for taking oh, the time to chat with us this, so this has been so cool so if people want to connect with you online f- uh, find yeah, out more about you on twitter or instagram i'm at katie von till on twitter and instagram and if they want to check out my websites katievontill.com uh although i don't really keep it all that up to up to date so best thing is probably find me in the modern way all <laughs> <laughs> right <Yeah. laughs> Life, life, our lives are so crazy now. Everything has so changed. We're living in a different time, but it'll be different by the time this interview comes out, too. <laughs> that's right. That's yeah. right. We'll, we'll have links to all of that on, on in the uh, on the, in the show notes for the for this episode on the website. Uh, again, Katie, thank you. This has been amazing. Really, really appreciate your your time and generosity. Anytime. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate being invited, and thank you for doing this for actors because I think it's really it's really worthwhile. everyone welcome back really hope you enjoyed uh the entirety of katie von till's interview any sort of debrief you want to do on this one trevor i just want to say that it was really fun talking to katie uh not only is her business sense and her sense of specificity and hustle and drive but you know sane drive not like whacked like oh my god i feel so much pressure kind of drive like she's in it for the long haul She's a professional, and it was just a lot of fun to talk shop with her, especially the voiceover stuff. And there's just so many action items in this actual episode. I'm, I'm so proud to have this out in the world. So, Katie, thank you for your generosity, for your time. She was, like, waiting for to eat a pizza the whole interview. <laughs> I think I edited that part out, but she was, like, it was, like, there waiting for her after a long day. And, you know, double bonus points for uh, ah. not only delaying that, but also really sharing sharing it all with the community. So, uh, yeah, that's all I got to say, man. Really proud to have this out in the world. Thanks, Katie. What's your pick of the week, man? Pick of the week. So I really am loving this. I'm very selective about the podcasts that I choose to subscribe to because it's so easy to just fill your brain with tons of noise and then never have a chance to sort of think. Like, there's always more episodes to listen to, right? So I'm, I'm very selective. I try to keep it to, like, between 8 and 10 and I try to listen, you know, just a few times a week to that that feed to start going through those. Uh, so I've come across a podcast that is worthy uh, of my collection, and it's a brand new podcast called Hurry Slowly. And the uh, the actual, I think, like tagline for it is a podcast about how you can be more productive, creative, and resilient through the simple act of slowing down. And it really speaks to wow. me because this sounds so up your alley. Well, yeah, this is such. This is a very Trevor podcast. Uh, You know, when I read the book Deep Work by Cal Newport, that really resonated with me. Just the idea that uh, we have really been um, letting the skill set of of monotasking and focusing, uh, you know, atrophy and be worn away and be sold off to the highest bidder when it comes to technology and devices. And, And Hurry Slowly really speaks to the sort of human side of that. I've always felt a little bit repelled by 
the entertainment industry because I've got this idea in my head that it's got to be wheeling and dealing and on your phone and taking calls and responding to and like just constantly like you know doing stuff and that's just not how I I work I'm I'm a I'm a like cabin by the side of the lake kind of guy that's my my sort of happy place and I don't I don't enjoy life if if I'm if I feel like I've got just you know tons of things asking for my attention I, I like to sort of slow down and so this podcast is all about how to do that and there are a lot of successful people that she interviews the interview I listened to this morning was with a guy named Craig Maud who's a writer and it really spoke to me and there was another woman I think her name was Ann Friedman that I listened to the other day and her interview was all about connecting with nature and how that's very restorative and just some some sort of the some of the biological processes that are at work when you step out into nature for even just a few minutes. It's a very uh, comprehensive but nuanced look at at how to exist in this uh, culture, a cultural moment we find ourselves in. So check it out. HurrySlowly.co is the website for it, and you can find the podcast pretty much anywhere. And there's only like five or six episodes out right now. So if you get in now, you're getting in on the ground floor, and you won't feel overwhelmed by a huge backlog. <laughs> Like like the people who discover our show, three hundred episodes in. I know, I know. I was tempted. I was, you mentioned the cabin by the lake. I was so tempted to do another sort of outdoors backpacking. You know, get out in the middle of nowhere, kind of pick of the week. But I refrained because I've been doing it so much lately. Yeah. So so tell me about your pick of the week. So uh, this was turned into a U.S. version, but it's a television show that I didn't even realize had an Australian version. These are the benefits of being with someone from another country. They introduce you to, you know, uh, media from their home country. So Jasmine was watching this this week. It's a, a television show which many of us are probably familiar with because of the Greg Kinnear television show called Rake, but this is, it's actually based on an Australian uh, television show by the same name. And we started watching it, and it's uh, really good, uh, great writing, really funny, and if for no other reason, you have to see Hugo Weaving and his performance in the pilot episode. He plays a guest star, basically, in the pilot episode, and he's unbelievable. Um, I, I, I mean, I love him anyway, but it was such a it was such a treat, uh, kind of um, seeing seeing that. So if, if all you do is watch the pilot, totally worth it, but. Uh, yeah, check it out. Rake. Uh, it's on uh, Netflix, as far as I know. I don't know if it's anywhere else, but it's the Australian version. So if you see the picture of Greg Kinnear holding a steak on his face, that's the U.S. <laughs> version. Yeah. Not the and, Australian version. And they're like uh, five or six seasons in at this point, right? Uh, yeah, and I think the original Australian version only had four seasons. Okay. So, and the, yeah, and the other one's been around for a while, so. Cool. Um but yeah, check check that out. Um, we also got a listener pick of the week uh, from longtime listener Christina. Oh, do we know how to say her last name? I'm gonna, I'm you know I'm messing. I, I've known Christina for for many years via social media, but I I've never learned how to pronounce her last name. We're just gonna say Keeper, Christina Keeper. Sorry, Christina. I was gonna say Kepper. Kepper. Uh, oh my god, anyway, Christina. The debate is on. Uh, she sends it. I, I'm surprised I didn't make this my pick of the week uh, uh, a while back because Jasmine and I actually watched these. Uh, her pick of the week was uh, Oprah's Super Soul Conversations. Um, I guess it's been podcasticized uh, on iTunes because I, I think I I think we watch it on YouTube or some other form. Maybe the, maybe her website or something. Um, and. She says the first guest in August was Brene Brown. So maybe maybe she has just, yeah, recently turned this into a podcast because she's been doing these for a long time and she's got quite the backlog um, for for this on, I guess it would be YouTube, but Oprah's Super Soul Conversation. So another podcast. So we have Hurry Slowly, um, a podcast that Trevor recommends for... Uh, you know, becoming more productive, creative, and resilient by slowing down. Uh, the Australian version of the television show, Rake, and our listener pick, Oprah's Super Soul Conversations, uh, which also sounds like a new podcast. So check those out. Awesome. Links to all of those on our website. Check it out in the show notes for episode 299. Anything else before we boogie out of here and get ready to launch 300 in two weeks? No, but I'm so excited. It feels so weird. Um, <laughs> here we go. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Uh, today's, well, everyone in the U.S. anyway. Today's episode of Inside Acting was produced and hosted by yours truly, A.J. Meyer, and of course, Trevor Algett. 
Uh, Team IAP also includes Jen Levin, Kadali Kubrick, and Deborah Smith. Visit us online at InsideActing.net where you can sign up for our weekly email dispatch and listen to all of our episodes. We're also on social media pretty much everywhere. Uh, And also, uh, wherever you look for podcasts, you can probably find us there too. (laughs) You can directly support the continued production of Inside Acting by coming to episode 300 party. I'm kidding. Um, I just can't plug in enough. Uh, You can do it with either a one-time financial contribution or an ongoing monthly contribution. Just visit us at InsideActing.net to learn more about those two options and help us keep the lights on and the episodes coming. And that does it, guys, for episode 299. The next time we talk to you, it will be the 300th episode of this podcast. Thank you so much for listening, guys. We'll be back in your feed with episode 300 the first week of December. We're going to take next week off for the holiday, but the first week of December, we'll be back with episode 300. In the meantime, we'll see you at the party. I'm so excited for the party. See you all there. Bye.